I bow to Ram, I bow to God, in all his forms, Sita, Ram, Krishna, Radha, all beings end in you. Because God is everywhere. And although he makes a very good show of making it seem as if he was the one unhidden thing, you remember in that beautiful story in the Mahabharata, where Duryodhana and Arjuna go to seek Krishna's help in the battle of Kurukshetra. And Kurukshetra offers them a choice, either himself, and he will not take part in the battle, or all his army, but not himself. Duryodhana, being materialistic, was very happy to get that army. Arjuna was very happy to get Krishna, even if he did, took no part in this show. And so it doesn't seem, because God is so artful, you know, if if he wasn't a master artist, this we'd see through this thing quickly. But he's arranged it in so clever a way that it takes many, many incarnations to get out of delusion. It can take a billion years. It can take uh, many billions of years. It can take more than a day of Brahma. It isn't up to him. It's up to us. But the day does begin to dawn. I remember one of Master's disciples saying to him, Sir, I don't think I had very good karma. He was a bit of a gloomy guess. Master answered him very seriously. He said, remember this. It takes very, very, very good karma even to want to know God. How many times you have had to suffer and then begun to think, well, I'm not getting what I want in this world. I'm not getting it in things. I'm not getting in money. I'm not getting in people. I'm not getting in anywhere. And so the heart begins to think, well, maybe there's something else. We've all been through that. I came to Master. I was just desperate because I knew that nothing was giving what I wanted. I, people expected me to get a job and have a wife and a nice home in a beautiful suburb and make a good living. And I... It was to me like saying they wanted death for me. To me, I'm sorry. I know many of you think that way, but I cannot. And I think the world needs a few people like me too to remind you that that's not what it's about. There is something inside you, and God hides behind everything. He's present in the battle, but he won't let you know he's there. But the thing is that where he is, there is victory. So don't primp and don't try to make yourself beautiful and so on. You know, last time I was a naughty boy, you might say, because I forgot to read this. The, all these shows are based on um, this book, Conversations with Yogananda. And I forgot to read even. I got so wound up talking. So let me read you two things. They're both pretty, pretty brief. Norman told me after the first time he'd performed the yoga postures for the master in front of guests, I was doing the postures kind of blindly. Every time I'd start getting into a pose, however, 
Master would point a finger at me. Some of the postures weren't easy for me. I'd never been able to do them well. As Master pointed to me, however, I suddenly found I could do each one to perfection. The Master liked having Norman demonstrate the postures because of his strong and well-formed body. He wanted to correct a widespread impression people had of yogis that they are thin and emaciated. Well, Norman didn't stay, and there was a time when there was a group of us performing these postures for Master, and uh, I'd never been very physically oriented. I was good at sports, and I was a fast runner, and uh, I can't say that I was no good, but I really was not a shining star. And I have to say that in the postures, I, many of them I couldn't do at all. Suddenly in that group, in the Master's presence, I found I could do them all perfectly. I was amazed. And from then on, in fact, people always chose me to demonstrate the postures. And when Master had guests, he would have me uh, serve them lunch and then ask me to do the postures for them. And uh, this again shows you the kind of power that a guru has. He can do anything. He doesn't always do it. But he is the more overt expression of God who can do anything. A master can do anything because he's one with God. And you will see that once you've reached that stage where you know that you want God badly enough that you don't want to just read about him. You just don't, don't want to just go to satsangs and read nice books and think about him and have pious and sentimental thoughts. But you really want God. He will draw you to a guru. He will draw you to a true path. And once you're on that path, you will be amazed how what a different world is opened up before you. I remember when I was, before I met my guru, I lived in America, of course, but I just didn't know that Americans had any spirituality in them at all. You know, my guru's autobiography of a yogi is dedicated to Luther Burbank, an American saint. I saw his picture. I thought, what a beautiful picture. I was so attracted to him, and until I saw that dedication, I thought, ah, oh, there can't be any American saints. And so I didn't buy that book. I bought the Bhagavad Gita. That's how new I was. I didn't know anything. Then he brought me to him, and I'm not going to tell that story again. But uh, after I came to him, I found devotees everywhere. And in fact, in 1960, I had to come back to America for a visit. And it really hurt my heart to leave this land where there are so many devotees and go back to that materialistic country. And I was grieving about this. And Divine Mother sent me a devotee from Oakland, California. She was so sweet and so loving of God and just uh, altogether different from the average American you meet. I know we went to visit Tara Gandhi and she was amazed. She said, but you don't seem like Americans. Well, we're not. We're disciples of a great yogi, a great Indian yogi. But beyond that, there are many Americans who have love for God. This is the basis of America. This is why America was founded, so that people could find freedom to worship God in the way they wanted to. A friend from South America told me that this is why your country has flourished. He said, in our country, they came seeking gold and uh, even now, after centuries, they still are in chaos and can't get it together. So, yes, it's a very spiritual country, but I didn't get to see any of that. 
as long as I wasn't being on the spiritual path, as long as I didn't seek God. Once I knew that, once I sought my guru, I suddenly found that there are many, many real devotees in America. It's, I have to say that next to India, I love to be in America because of this type of people. Italy also, wonderful country, so much natural devotion. But I have to say that of all countries, India is my home. Don't forget your destiny. Don't forget your, your heritage. Yes, you can be wealthy. Yes, you can learn what America can give you, but don't learn the wrong things. America can teach you how to become rich. Is that what you really want? This ground, you're born in this incarnation, in this land. Who knows how many other countries you will have to roam through. Take advantage of having a human body in this country. As my guru, when he wrote a poem about India, he ended it, I am hallowed. This body touched that sod. And with those words, he left his body. And so it is, don't think in outward terms. There's another saying, which I was going to read today, and then I remembered that I'd forgotten to read the other one yesterday. To the nuns, he once said, ladies, don't devote too much time to dressing or caring for your appearance, lest you fall into temptation. He didn't mean they should be indifferent to the normal standards of neatness and good taste, but only that they should not be over-solicitous in these matters. Well, you see the front page of the Times of India, second section, Always, it gets out to be almost irritating. You see these two chicks, two young women, posed in a certain way. It's, it, what does it all mean? This beauty is going to be such a short thing. You're not going to be, have that body all the time. And you've been all sorts of things. That's not you. You've been a crab. You've been, a <laughs> you've been everything. It takes five to eight million lives, the Shastras say, to reach the human level. This wandering, why go on? Why go on wandering in delusion when you know that you will, or you better learn it sooner or later, you will never find what you want. And people usually say, well, just a little bit longer. That little bit longer can be incarnations. You can die like that. And then where will you be? Starting all over, all those years of being a baby and hardly being able to get yourself together. Finally, you learn to run without falling over. Then you get your emotions somewhat controlled so you're not just a seething mass of them. Then you get your willpower somewhat under control and your intellect somewhat under control. And finally, you reach what they call adulthood. And so many people who are adults are really still stupid. You have to call them that. There's no other word for it because they're faced with reality and they can't see it. Yes, they can make a lot of money. There are a lot of intelligent idiots in this world, but how many are wise? To be wise means to know who you are. And to be wise means to listen to wisdom in other people. It means to be open-minded. When other people listen to even children, sometimes they say things that uh, you need to hear. God will use anybody to enlighten you, to lead you on the right path, to tell you and direct you in 
the direction you're supposed to go if you think of him first and uh, don't say, well, I know, I'm, I'm uh, cleverer than other people. Oh, I've been through that, and I've just realized it's just such a barren life that way. How sweet life is when you know that wisdom means to love God. Wisdom doesn't mean to be able to quote lots of things. Yes, I can quote lots of things. What good does that do? To love God is what life is all about. Don't try to live beautifully, but live sensibly. I don't notice things very much. I know I was in a little satsang with about 15, eight people, maybe just eight people. And some of the people afterwards were talking about this woman who was sitting right in front of me, dressed in sackcloth. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I do notice beauty. When people dress nicely, I, I appreciate it. I think that out of respect for other people, we should try to be presentable, dress nicely, have our hair combed. There was a man my guru met in Phoenix one time who was all disheveled and dirty, and my guru said, why don't you dress properly and keep your hair combed and uh, look a little more normal? And he said, I am a renunciate. He said, you're not a renunciate. You're attached all over to disorder. Be neat, be proper. Do what is done, but don't be attached to it. That's the whole thing in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna doesn't say give up things. He says give up attachment to things. The more, it doesn't mean that you mustn't have anything. It means you mustn't be attached to anything. This is the right way to freedom. Otherwise, well, many people think of Indians as being spiritual because of all the poor peasants. That's not spirituality. Vivekananda said, these people aren't sattvic, they're tamasic. They're lazy. Okay, not all of them. There are some wonderful people everywhere, and I've never met so many wonderful people as in India. But that doesn't blind me to the fact there are a lot of people who are not, who are not sattvic. They're just sort of hang-dog expression because they don't have any energy. The first thing you've got to do on the spiritual path is be energetic. And in that energy, do things right. Don't think that you're being a renunciate by keeping a lot of shabby things around you. You know, Swami Chidananda, uh, the, most, uh, the closest disciple of Swami Shivananda, came to visit us one time in America. And some of the members there were in the name of being living for God and being uh, not caring about worldly things. They were leaving tools around, and there was a limit to how much I could say, but I was really grateful to him for saying this. He said that when you have dirt and confusion around you, you attract lower beings. If you want to attract angels, if you want to attract the devatas, then live in cleanliness, be clean, live neatly. Don't go around in rags and don't keep your hair just sort of straggly in all ways. The more you live neatly and properly without being attached to it, the more you will find the angels, the devas, also come and help you. The, uh, uh, there was a very interesting story. This was told by somebody who had come onto the path, but years before he was not on the path. He was a mountaineer. He was an alpinist. And he told me of one time, he, was, he made quite a few first ascensions. And there was this side of the mountain that nobody had ever climbed before. And he 
studied it and he thought, well, I think I could. He was courageous, perhaps a little too courageous, perhaps to the point of foolhardiness, but I don't know. At least anyway, he did climb this very sheer side. He reached a certain level and there there was a ridge, a ledge, and above that the mountain went out like that before he could come on to the top. From the top he could walk down easily, but this particular side was not possible. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't have any equipment to walk upside down. It's much more difficult to climb down a mountain than up it. He knew he would not be able to climb down. He tried several times. He would get up and he would just begin to get upside down and he'd fall. Do it again. He thought, well, I might as well die trying as simply die of starvation. And so knowing that there was no sense to it, but it was the only thing he could do, there's a lot of lesson in this, because it was the only thing he could do, therefore, even though it made no sense and it did not seem at all commonsensical, still he tried. And he went up and fell, went up and fell. About the 24th or 5th time, all of a sudden, he said that a power pushed him against the mountain, held him this way all the way up until he reached the top. Then he was able to walk down. He used to describe it because he hadn't come on the spiritual path yet as, as uh, the mountain embracing him and holding him to its breast. But the devas do watch you. They do help you. Many stories have been told about angels and devas who help people who were not necessarily on the spiritual path. But when they see courage, don't ever give up because you're not alone. And if you put enough energy out, then somehow, some force, many times it has shown itself, it will come in and help you. Rickenbacker was uh, on the Titanic after it, when it was sinking. I think it was that anyway, on a torpedoed ship, and he was far from land, and they prayed for a miracle. A seagull, which never strays that far from land, landed there, and they were able to eat it. God is always with you. You have to just have the courage. So let us sing. Let me sing for you. Our people sing for you, dearest friend, which is a song I wrote for the wedding ceremony. I, I wrote the wedding ceremony and the songs. And this is Dearest Friend, which the bride and groom sing to one another. Joy to you. Dearest friend in the plan of your life's path with mine, I have found love is crowned with freedom's fine. Sorrows all disappear when friendship's gaze is clear. May our sight shining light toward God incline. Dearest friend in the plan of your life's path with mine, I have Gaze is clear. 
May our side shining.